0: All right, so we are continuing on in our study in this passage found here in 1 John chapter 2. Where he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And all the way down, we're going to go all the way down to verse 11 eventually. <laughs> but not today but we're still looking at this this old commandment and that would be on page 4 of your study guide that should be on page 4 of your study guide and so for the very first blank on your study guide there on page 4 hopefully you'll be able to find this and it says the old commandment is the basis that your word of all the commandments According to what the Apostle Paul taught in the Epistle to the Romans. So if you find that, then that's where we're at. Okay? So the word is basis or foundation. Uh, Romans 13, 8-10 says, O no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul also says uh, something very similar to this in Galatians 5, 13 through 14. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So on on your study guide, it is indeed an old commandment and one by which all of the commandments are hinged upon. Hinged is the word. It's kind of like a a hinge of a door. Um, James teaches that failure in this one point is to fail in all others concerning the law. So there should be a chain there, a broken chain. A illustration. James 2, 8 through 10 says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You know, sometimes we teach that like, well, if you lie, you broke the law, or if you steal, you broke the law, but really the context that James is talking about Is showing favoritism in the church. And if you show that favoritism, then you're not being loving to the poor man that's at your you know at your feet and you're giving favoritism to the rich man that comes in. What is the breaking of the law? You're not showing love. So if you're not showing love, you're breaking the whole law. Because the whole law, that's that's what the law is is hinged upon. And, you know, that brings up an interesting point to me. You know, we get all worked up, worked up about lying and stealing and cheating. And you've got to admit that there are certain sins, and depending upon the individual, there are certain sins that we consider uh, more heinous than others, don't we? I mean, some of us have certain sins that we really cannot stomach. That we cannot, but yet, where sin is concerned, it, I think it goes much, much deeper than the act of the sin. I think it's more than just the act perpetrated on another, or some failure, or some error, or some mistake committed. So on your study guide, uh, people sin because they hate others, and love themselves too much. People sin because they hate others and love themselves too much. You're probably going to say, wow, hate is an awful strong word. Well, I use it because that's what John uses. He uses the word hate. Uh, Romans 13.10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you're working ill toward your neighbor, that's not love. That's not love. On your study guide, I dare say that all sin is self-serving sin. It's self-serving. It's putting yourself first. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It either appeals to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or... That prideful ego that we all wrestle with. What was that, James 1? James 1.14. You know, the, the motive is uh, the false notion that there is some personal gain to us by committing sin against another person. Well, think about that. The motive is the false notion that there's some personal gain to us by the committing of sin against another person. Now think about that. So on your study guide. Chapter and text, or chapter and verse, right? Eve was tempted because she was led to believe that it was to her advantage to do so. Right? Genesis 3, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Advantage number one, for God doth not know, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, advantage number two, and ye shall be as gods, advantage number three, knowing good and evil, advantage number four. The same tactic still works today. I mean, stop and think about it. When you sin, there's some advantage to you that's at play. And some disadvantage to someone else. On your study guide, we live in a period of church history that can be ra- rightly defined as narcissistic. N A R C I S S I S T I C narcissistic. We don't have that. So it says yeah, so the next point is there is this in the church today a spirit of extreme narcissism. Okay. There's a dash on the line. Okay. Well, my apologies. Sorry. Oh no, I see. No, I'm I'm ahead of you. Okay. Yeah. So narcissistic. If it's not there, uh, make sure you get that down. A spirit of extreme narcissism. Yes. Yes. What is narcissism? Well, it's selfishness. It's it's love of self. It's a it's involving a sense of entitlement. Uh, it has a lack of empathy towards others. Uh, there is a need for admiration. There's a need for accredita- accreditation from others. You know, that's that's a narcissism. And that is, that, that is the spirit of the Laodicean age that we live in. And that's contrary, if, if you're honest with what's going on in the church today, it's contrary to what Paul taught. The church in the Philippians, for example, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And unfortunately, that's not a popular thing to do in church today. We're all about us shining, us being noticed us knowing what uh, having make sure everybody knows what we're doing and what we're all about he goes on in philippians 2:4 he says look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others and then he says this lest this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus as always that's our standard right that's our standard Teaching of the modern agnostics today, they capitalize on this this self serving attitude of heart that is prevalent in this church age of today. Contrary to the teachings of God's Word. Many people in churches today are being taught to have a um, unreasonably high sense of their own importance and self worth. I mean, go to some of these more popular Christian um, books stores, and you're going to see shelves after shelves after shelves that tout this self-esteem and this pop psychology of self-esteem. I think some of God's people, and I—I I, I don't mean to be a meanie, guys. But some of God's people fall into the folks that Jesus had to deal with. Matthew 23, 5, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. And they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. You know, they just, they do it for show. And that's, don't do that. That's not a good way to go. As an example, and I'm, I'm, I know I beat up on these guys a lot, but they're one of the biggest influences in the church today. But the Word of Faith movement teaches its followers that we have the power to decree by faith uh, some matter, and God is obligated to answer our prayer. Now, who's in charge? Who has the power? What the Word of Faith movement has successfully done in the minds of their followers is they've flip-flopped who's in charge. That's what they've done successfully. And there is a heightened self-esteem, and this heightened self-esteem will, will eventually affect your opinion of Jesus Christ. Instead of viewing Jesus Christ as our Lord and our God, he's now our paymaster, or our lackey, or our cosmic sugar daddy. You know that's true. You know that's true. We have we live among a generation of Christians who have been reared upon teaching whose consequence is, is to feed the need. To seek too much attention for themselves, to entertain an unrealistic sense of entitlement, and even foster a pop culture uh, admiring their favorite influencer, their, you know, their favorite preacher, or their favorite singer, or whatever it is. Honestly folks, if you take a look at Christianity today, there's not really a whole lot of difference between our pop culture and the world's pop culture. I read an article uh, some time back, um, and they refer to this as the cult of self in American Christianity. And I thought the article was very eye-opening. This article pointed out that a lot of what we consider worship of God, and I spoke about worshiping God, is simply a mask for the true focus of worship in, in many churches today. Not not this church. And um, I'm going to read a section of this article. This, this fellow wrote, uh, Like an enormous object in space, the cult of self exerts an enormous cultural gravitational pull that distorts Christian belief and practice in America and is a non-Christian belief system that has given rise to to many Christian heresies. I thought that was a very accurate statement. He says, under this system, Jesus is a tame, toothless, middle-class moralizer who demands nothing of us. God is relegated to the position of a life coach or influencer, or an investment advisor, or worse, a cosmic bookie. This is particularly obvious in the heresies of the so-called prosperity gospel, where Christianity is about meeting our wildest consumer dreams. He goes on, he says, In addition, traditional Christian beliefs and teachings, particularly regarding human sexuality and marriage, are stripped away Least they impose limitations on the desires of autonomous selves as we increasingly adopt a cafeteria-style approach to religious belief. Picking and choosing among doctrines and practices, like customers sampling a buffet. Through these processes... Christianity is rendered impotent and unable to critique consumerism, capitalism, or our libertine, libertine social mores. That. Uh, this is an article written by a Michael Stanford on religion and ethics. And he's right. He's right. Not too far away from here, we have a church that flies a rainbow flag. So he's right. He's absolutely right. Which one's that? Uh, it's in Belton. This is that darkness that is inflicting the church today. So on your study guide. So Sherry, this is probably where the hyphen is. There exists in the church today a spirit of extreme self-involvement. To the degree that it makes a person ignore the needs of those around them while their needs are the very center of their world and existence. We live in a self-centered Christianity. And hey, I've got to confess that sometimes I get caught up in that. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. On your study guide, it is this self-centered spirit that we must wage war against in our own daily walk if we truly desire to fellowship with God who is light, love, and righteous. That is a battle that we all face. It is an entitlement mentality and like Joseph of old, remember Joseph when Potiphar's wife says, come lie with me? <laughs> we need to resist that same kind of spirit in, 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 in our own time that wants us to come lie with it. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Um, Christ left us an example. In first Peter two twenty-one, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Did you find that on your study guide? No, well that's where we're at. I love I love um, you know I do. I love going through my strong concordance on certain words. And this particular word, example. Strong's number fifty-two sixty-one is the Greek word hupo gramos. and um, this is a very dis- descriptive word being used here as, as our Lord, as our example. Do you remember in school where you had those little exercise books where they would have the letter and then you have to trace out the letter to help train your hand hand eye coordination help you to well that's what that word means that's what that word means it it means our lives should be traced out as Jesus life is our lives should be traced out like those dotted lines as Jesus life is, is, is traced out First John 2, 6, He that saith abided with him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You know, how, how, are, how am I doing in that? How am I doing in that? As we exercise ourselves into being like Christ, that's how we begin to know Christ. Because then we'll be experiencing the same things that he experienced in his walk, in his life. We'll come to understand love as we love as Christ loved. And let me tell you something, nobody loved like Christ loved. As we trace our lives by his example. Do you have Mark chapter 1, 32 on your study guide. If not, turn to Mark chapter 1 in your Bible. Open your Bibles up. Okay, it's on page 6. Mark 1, 32 through 39. And that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and then that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, "...all men seek for thee." And he said unto them, "...let us go unto the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth." And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. You know, when we trace out our lives in regards to the example that Jesus Christ is... It's more than just the action. It's also the attitude. It's also the heart attitude. And I cite this passage because Jesus, uh, the Jesus being preached today, is not the Jesus of the Gospels. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. On your study guide, the Jesus of the Gospels was a diligent and determined servant of God who knew his purpose loved others and whose desire was to fulfill the will of the Father so not only do we see the actions of Jesus but what else do we see here the attitude did you skip some oh it's possible well no so we had there or some lines that are repeated on the bottom of page five. Okay. Oh, I love these study guides. <laughs> it's the a section on there exists in the day spirit of extreme. Okay, I think we covered all that. You did, you did. There were just a, there were a couple lines that repeated itself. Okay. Yeah, I think I covered all that. Diligent and determined servant. A diligent and determined servant of God. So did you fill in the blank for we live in a period of church history that can be rightly defined as... Narcissistic. Oh, I think we're kind of like that. Okay. So diligent and determined servant of God, who knew his purpose, loved others, and whose desire was to fulfill the, the will of the Father. So there we see not only the actions of Jesus, but also the attitudes of Jesus. I mean, he healed all evening long. All evening long he healed. And then in the morning, what does he do? He goes meets with the Father in prayer. He goes meets with the Father in prayer. Now, that's Jesus. And I get that. You know, that's, that's that's a standard that is really high. But the thing I want to accentuate is the attitude. Because a lot of us can do a lot of the actions, but what about the attitude behind the actions? What about the attitude behind the actions? What compelled the Lord to do this? To stay up all night and heal these folks? His compassion. His compassion, his love for the people. He he, he loved these people. That's why he stayed up all night to heal these people. It was his compassion, it was his love. And let me tell you something. Yeah, when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, yes, we are going to be judged according to our works. But what is it that God really looks for? Yeah, the attitude of the heart. The attitude of the heart. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Lord, Lord, did we not heal in thy name? He says, I never knew you. And there's a lot of folks out there that are just like that. So he gets up and he goes and communes with the Father. He prays prays with the Father early in the morning. And what is the, what is the subject of his prayer? Others, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Jesus was always on mission. I can't say I'm always on mission. But Jesus was always on mission and his mission was to fulfill the Father's will. I can't say that I'm always that way. Can anybody in this room say that? But yet, he is our standard. He is our example. Matthew 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for in, for many. So on your study guide, and hopefully it's there, Jesus was the embodiment And in sample of the royal law. Embodiment and in sample of the royal law. In sample? In sample. E-N-S-A-M-P-L-E. He's the standard that we shoot for. Both in action and in attitude. The Jesus taught today is one who wants to make you rich, or make you healthy, or make you the most important thing that walks the planet. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Gospels teaches that those who desire to be his disciples, what do they have to do? If any man will come after me, what what do they have to do? Yeah, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Somehow the focus in many Christians' minds today is not on how we may serve the Lord by serving others, but how the Lord may serve us to the neglect of others. Again, I'm not picking on anybody, I'm talking about in general. We have to be watchful and careful. Instead of being disciples, meaning many are being taught to be dependents of Jesus. As though Jesus is running some sort of heavenly welfare system. You know, for many, and including myself, um, when I consider Jesus' example, this concept of serving others over self, that's a paradigm shift in a person's life. Um, an even greater paradigm shift for many is to do so without the expectation of being noticed. Without the, without the expectation of praise for men for doing so. Romans twelve one I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word reasonable is the Greek word logikos, where we get the word logic. So what Paul writes is simply this, based upon all that I've taught you in this epistle about God's grace and imputed righteousness and justification and salvation and his great love for us, In light of everything that God has accomplished for us through His Son, it's only logical, only reasonable, that we present ourselves fully to Him. Now let me say this about paradigm shifts. They're never pleasing to deal with. They never are. But if we fail to deal with these paradigm shifts, then we're going to suffer the consequences for not doing so. Paradigm shifts hurt, but they're also good. Our own nation is experiencing a paradigm shift. And we see the symptoms of that in our dysfunctional society and our inept leadership. In fact, it's happening all over the world. If you're paying attention to what's going on, leadership doesn't know what to do about what's going on in the world. And if you want to get scared, read about this WEF and this Davos stuff that's going on. We've got some pretty wicked leadership out there. And there's also a paradigm shift occurring in churches today as well. The message in many congregations is now all about the believer rather than about Jesus. It's all this is your study. This is your study guide. It's more about self-esteem rather than esteeming God. Self-love is a very popular message today. Very popular. Um, It's almost impossible to pick up a book in a in a bookstore anymore that's just a commentary. But you will find plenty of these self-love books. There's a lot of them out there. So on your study guide, and I hope it's there. If we do not watch and pray, we can also become influenced by the spirit of this age and lose our perspective, is our blank. And in losing our perspective, we lose our purpose. And in losing our purpose, we become distracted and aimless. And what? Aimless. And pour ourselves into the things that do not matter for eternity. A preacher once commented I have discovered in my ministry that when I lose focus on my purpose, I am vulnerable to discouragement and even depression. The Apostle Paul was human, and I believe he experienced such moments in his life. For me, the only thing that can lift me out of this cesspool of discouragement and depression is to get my focus back on my purpose in serving God. And that that to me is a true statement. Matthew 6:21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? Where is your treasure? Now, someone might ask, well, Jeff, all of this stuff, what does that have to do with the old commandment? Love God and love others. It has everything to do with the old commandment. It has everything to do with it. I mean, what is, what is the treasure of the church today? What is our treasure, personally? What is our treasure? Should be. I mean, we say that. But is it real? Is it true? See that, I, I was talking to my wife earlier, and I was telling her, you know, I'm getting to the point, Diane, where, you know, I need to take a lot of this stuff a little more seriously than I'm taking it. Because time is short. Time is short. Psalm 142, 5 says, I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. What is my portion? What is your portion? What is your treasure? What is your dearest possession above all else? What is the one thing that you could not be parted with? What is the love of your life? A sincere love for God and others is the only solution to a narcissistic church. Or to a narcissistic believer. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. As I mentioned, fellowship is the theme of this epistle. And he's knocking at the door of many, many, many churches. And unfortunately, many, many churches don't want him in. And unfortunately, there's many, many believers that don't want him in. And the ones they are letting in through the knocks, and not (laughs) the ones We need to own him as our portion, our treasure. It'll prove a lot more rewarding than anything that the false Christ of the Word of Faith crowd will offer you. It'll be a lot more rewarding than what old Joel Osteen or any of those other guys give you. Matthew six thirty three. All these things shall be given to you first and then seek the kingdom of God and maybe get righteous while you're at it. Does that sound right? But that's how that's preached. That's how it's preached. No, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What's the priority in your life? What is the priority in, in your life? You know, that's just something I, you have to ask yourself. If you're really serious about your fellowship with God, that's just something you have to ask yourself. So on your study guide, I hope it's on your study guide, I'm beginning to wonder now. A fool is a man or a woman who chooses without considering the consequences. A wise man or woman is one who does consider the consequences of their choice. In God's eyes, a wise man is such who does consider the consequences of their choices in light of eternity. In light of eternity. Ecclesiastes 12, 13-14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall not, for God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, we're, we're all excited about the rapture of the church, right? Yeah, we look at it as our escape out of this place. But what happens after the rapture? Judgment seat of Christ. When we want Jesus to hurry up and come, like somebody, we're leaving the others behind. Yeah. We're not even giving them a chance. Yeah. From us. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to bring. Up, I'm, bring I'm going to bring that up here. But that is. That's you're tracking right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, what comes after is we're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. And when He says, "With every secret thing," that's your heart attitude. That's your heart attitude. I read a. I read. I, I read a. I read a lot of biographies of uh, good people, good men, good women. I read one. Uh, Doctor Walter L. Wilson died in 1969. Uh he was a he was a tent maker. I mean literally he was a tent maker. He made tents for circuses, Ringland Barnum Barnum and Bailey, you know uh, back when he lived circuses were a big deal. Uh he was also a doctor, a medical doctor. He was also a successful uh businessman. Uh, but his greatest passion was a, as a soul winner for Christ. Was a soul winner for Christ. Uh, Dr. Wilson became the pastor of the interdenominational central Bible church of Kansas City, Kansas in 1920. So he's a local boy. He became the co-founder and first president of the Kansas City Bible College, which is now Calvary Bible College right there on the old air base, slash seminary, slash university now. Uh Dr. Wilson also established the Flagstaff Indian Mission to the Navajos. He traveled to the British Isles, Europe, Near East. He was during his day he was a much sought after Bible conference speaker. I mean people were always wanting him to come and speak in their Bible conferences in their churches. And his greatest passion was twofold, God's word and loving people. And I'm bringing this man up because of of his prayer. He had a prayer he prayed uh, practically every day. And this is his prayer. In fact, I've got this prayer written to where I can see it. He says, God, show me in your word what I need to know for your truth and your power to work in me and through me for your glory and for the good of others. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. You know, with all the busyness that occurs in church, is it, a busy, is it a busyness that glorifies God and impacts lives for eternity? Is it a busyness that brings glory to myself? Is it a busyness to keep me popular or occupied Or is it a business that's accomplishing an eternal good for others? Am I busy in loving God by loving others for an infinite purpose or am I more busy about loving myself? Those are questions I ask myself. How do I measure up? (laughs) Not too good. (laughs) not too good sometimes you know are we offering the fruit of our lives to the Lord cured by his loving grace that influences our lives through his word or are we offering that all euro pin of the bitter olive a life mixed with hate towards others and love for self if the check engine light is on don't ignore it Don't ignore it. Can't afford the breakdown. A commandment. I'm really hoping to finish. So a commandment is just as it sounds. It's a command. It's an order. The blank is, it is a charge from one superior to be kept. It's something you cannot ignore. This old commandment, as we've seen, is sanctioned by the Lord's own name as we observed in in passages, I think it was last Sunday. It's just not an Old Testament commandment, it's also a New Testament commandment as well. As far as the Lord sees it being sanctioned by his own name, this commandment is the most important commandment for us to observe. I mean, isn't that what we learned in Romans and Galatians, that if we observe this commandment, we fulfill the whole law? The subject of this commandment encompasses everybody. Everybody. Brothers, neighbors, strangers, spouses, ones, enemies, and yes, even me. I mean, remember the the lawyer... Who came to Jesus and asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment? And he said, "Love thy, uh, love God with all thy heart, soul, and body, and love thy neighbor as thyself." And just like a lawyer, what does he say? Willing to justify himself, he says to Jesus, "Well, who is my neighbor?" So what did Jesus do? You remember the story, of the Good Samaritan. Luke ten thirty six, which now you know, he talks about the. The, the the Levite and the, and the priest who walks by this man, but yet a Samaritan comes up and takes care of this man. Luke 10.36, which now these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? The lawyer answered, he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. So on your study guide... The commandment is an old commandment. One, anyone who has been instructed in either Old Testament law or New Testament doctrine of the Gospel of Christ, they've heard this commandment. I mean, even the lost agree with this commandment about loving your, your neighbor. On your SETI guide to religionists and Gnostics, Teaching about love is primarily all about being a good person to others. Good person is your blank. They teach that love can contribute in modifying one's behavior and becoming a better person. And to a point, that's true. I'm going to read something that uh, one um, Gnostic teacher teaches. This is what they say. He says, if you follow a religion without willing to give love, it's almost like blind faith. Religions were designed as a way for society to do good to others. They have different teachings because they originated in different times and in different geological regions. Some people forget that love is what their religion is about then those people try to follow rules and make irrational choices. Some people believe religion is a competition. It is not. It is about sharing love so that everyone is happy. Love is important. And religion is a way to remind you to share it. Now what's missing? The Jesus part. You got that right. You got that right. Sounds spiritual, sounds rational. And in some ways it makes sense. But Ron is absolutely right on the money. It's leaving someone out. That's the hidden danger of such teaching. It sounds really good, but how does one get to heaven? Is it by being a loving person? Is it by being a loving person Uh, by being tolerant of evil if one is opposed to evil such as say abortion and some people don't look at abortion as evil then does this mean that that person is not a loving person if they're opposed to that particular evil If one believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes um, unto the Father except by him, does this mean that those who believe otherwise, are we being unloving to them? There's a lot of evil being permitted and committed in the name of love. It's on your study guide many religions of all belief systems teach love as a moral standard that one must practice in order to be accepted by God by obeying the golden rule you will get into heaven but my question is what is the standard of love if you leave out Jesus Christ what is the standard of love bingo so on your study guide the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of God pursuing a people who are not worthy of love that God loves them anyway Romans 5, 6 through, through 8 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per a venture for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. You can't leave Jesus out of it. What man needs is not a religion about God, but a relationship. With God, and that's only accomplished through a spiritual union with Jesus Christ by being born again, by believing in the propitiatory work of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf. And that's what these folks leave out. Now, you know what the Bible calls this kind of teaching? The way of Cain. The way of Cain. That's what this kind of teaching is all about. It is the way of Cain. It is teaching that you can be good enough, that you can love enough. And if you teach contrary to that, if you preach Jesus Christ is the only way, then you're being intolerant. It's too narrow, it's too exclusive. It's leaving out other faiths and their beliefs. You're not respecting their beliefs. So on your study guide. To the many who have been taught the way of Cain, is your blank, and that it is unfeasible to think that due to sin they deserve God's wrath and are undeserving of God's love. That's a hate speech gospel. Way of Cain, undeserving. What they fail to take into consideration is their sin. That's the blank. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is, what, what separates God from man? So that's your blank. It is their sin that separates them from God that is light. And it is this sin that is the issue that must be dealt with. So much sin is overlooked in the name of love. It's like ignoring a cancer. You ignore a cancer long enough, guess what's going to happen? It's going to kill you. Being a good, loving person is not what will get you into heaven. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I mean, we're already marred by sin. And being marred by sin, how can we possibly love as a holy God loves? We can't. Job 14.4 says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. We're already dirty, folks. We're already dirty. And is happiness really the goal? What if my happiness makes another person unhappy? Hmm? now that's not my opinion it's it's what the Bible teaches it's not what my well that's what your denomination believes no that's what the Bible teaches well that's what your pastor no that's what the Bible teaches none of us are deserving of God's love yet God loved us God loved us 1 John 4.10, here is love, that, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So on your study guide, I think there's a picture of a gift. Like Cain of old, so many reject God's means. And instead of accepting the covering, is your blank that God has provided in the death of an innocent they believe that what they have to offer is acceptable to God on your study guide in essence in their claim of loving one another to make them fit for heaven is your blank by their rejecting God's only means for their salvation in Jesus Christ they are spurning God's love spurning God's love The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about the Father who lovingly calls people who are not very good people at all. It's a call to offer the whomsoever will the gift of salvation through faith in his Son. He is indeed the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Cain. And it's only through his shed blood that we have any hope. And the word says, right? Go ahead. Okay. God doesn't want anybody to fix, right? No. But he knows, Sarah, be Do yeah, because they reject they refuse his gift. Okay. It's not it's not up to him saying hey, you are, you are not. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's a yeah, it's a choice we make. Now how is this call made? And this directs what Diana said. In Romans ten fourteen through 15, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now when it talks about preacher, is it talking about Brian? It's talking about us. He's talking about us. And have we not been sent? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Yes, it's the fulfillment of that commandment of loving one another. Remember what Jesus said about the, about the, the old commandment? He says, which now of these thinketh thou was neighbor on him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. It is this knowledge of this love wherewith God loved us that we are to take to others. That we are to take to others. And that's why we do things like taking it to the streets and that's why we put Bibles together and that's why we you know, join in with other churches to reach neighborhoods. That's why we go to our neighbors and because that's what we're doing when you take the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody you are fulfilling that old commandment you are fulfilling that old commandment Father in heaven we thank you Lord for your word we thank you Father for the standard that Jesus Christ is and Father in heaven I know I fall very very short but I pray, Lord, that that would change. And I pray, Lord, like what Dr. Wilson prayed. I pray, Father in heaven, that I would have a hard attitude that whatever I do, whatever decisions I make, Lord God, that they would be such, that they would impact eternity for the good for others. And I thank you, Lord God, for the paradigm shifts that your word puts into our hearts and to our minds. And now I pray, Father, for your grace to act upon it. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.